Hi, welcome to the Making Passenger podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Tom. This week we'll be talking to Robert Jack, the managing editor at Passenger Transport magazine. We'll be talking about how operators need to act more like 21st century retailers, four-wheel cocoons, and how modal shift is back on the agenda. Hope you enjoy. So, Rob, thanks for joining us today at Passenger. The uh, bus open data system requirements are really important in the way of guiding the way that we work and the systems that we build. So we thought it'd be great to get someone in to chat about this topic that has a wide overview of the bus industry. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And we're going to be talking about the... Well, we're going to be talking about BODS today. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know what BODS is, uh, this is a very niche podcast. Um, and so perhaps you're not listening to the right one. Uh, but, um, but but perhaps you have got the right podcast and you don't know what it is. Um, Tom, can you just give like a 30 second overview of of that as a whole? Yeah, sure. So, so BODS is the bus open data service that's being delivered by the DFT. Um, it came out of the Bus Services Act 2017. And it's all around the idea of um, improving passenger information provision across the UK. So there are some really great examples of of how open data has really powered some innovation in the UK. So City Mapper, for example, in London, have done a brilliant job of uh, of opening that up and really making uh, the public transport network there really accessible for everyone that lives there. I think. There are some examples in Manchester and, and various other places, but I think, yeah, really it's about making sure that that innovation can be uh, delivered elsewhere in the UK and, and particularly uh, around kind of new ideas, really, and kind of how, how you know, things can be challenged and how we can get kind of people out of their cars, essentially. And all of that is um, sort of underpinned by that data being available on which to build those, those new apps and new services. I think this is a a really interesting discussion and it could actually be a massive kicker for the whole industry. Um, As somebody who um, has been a regular public transport user as well as writing about the sector, you know how frustrating it can be to stand at a bus stop and not have any information, not be able to plan your journey, work out where you're going. Uh, you know, when, when I first moved to London, the, the bus service in, in the late nineties, the bus service and, and provision was, was was nothing like as fluid and as easy to navigate and find out the timings. I, I'd stood forty minutes at a bus stop waiting for buses where they'd missed one, wondering what's going on, and you could just stood there just thinking, "You're a you're a loser. You should just get a car and drive." You know? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that's what we want to get away from, isn't it? And uh, I remember going to a trip with a technology company to The Hague in 2003, I think, where they were looking at real-time information data and they could show it on a computer. And you could find out when your next tram would arrive at a stop and thinking that this was absolutely mind-blowing and, and how fantastic that would be. And, and, and I spoke to people about it, and I never seem to get the same excitement from people in the industry. But <laughs> when I spoke to people who, who use public transport a lot, they, they got it. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, this... This is something that we could make a big difference. And, and I, no, I'm living in, in Edinburgh now, and I use the, uh, the Lothian app, actually, a, a lot to use the buses. But I was a Londoner for 20 years, and, and what you just speak about, City Mapper and, and, and uh, various other apps, and, and, and way, you know, by opening up that data, Transport for London did themselves and, and the city and, and public transport users a real favour, I think. And, and, and hopefully we can get some of that effect rolled out across the country uh, i think it could be a, a real real positive thing for public transport and sustainable transport 
uh, in this country. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think I think when, when you're in London and you're in that that bubble of of, of the, the mega city, um, it, it it all exists and it's all there. And I think when you start to look around the country, you know, particularly in sort of certain areas, that there's none of that. You know, and actually, there's sort of, as you say, the, the confidence about whether a, a bus is even on its way, let alone, you know, going to arrive and, and, and be there, you know, at the right time. So, yeah, I think it's it's about taking all of the good things that have already been created and, and, and sort of spreading that around the UK. And I think, you know, in a consistent way, almost that, you know, people start to think, well, I don't I don't need a car in exactly the way that, you know, that that's that is in London and has been for a long time now. You know, I think there was a time when people didn't get buses in London so much. Uh, and, and, and that's been made, you know, really acceptable and really, you know, really quite normal to, to be traveling on a bus, you know, over a, over the tube and all these kinds of things. So, you know, there, there is a future, I think, where you know, technology makes it really accessible, and and absolutely, the the open data portal and or sorry, the open data service from from DFT is going to be critical in that. I, I sometimes wonder why the industry wasn't sooner at pushing this sort of stuff forward themselves. Why they haven't come up with a an industry wide partnership where they could promote it. There may well be reasons why they felt they couldn't do that. But I, mean, I remember being it wasn't that long ago visiting you know a major city outside of London. And, you know, getting off the train at the station and getting my phone, Google to try and find journey planning, where I could go. And buses not even popping up at all. It just happened to direct me to taxi. And I remember thinking, uh, I was visiting a major bus operator who was based in that city at the time, saying to them, why, why haven't you told Google what your services go mm-hmm. Everyone's on Google now. Well, I, I, th- I think that exists to some extent. So there, there is a there is a data set called the Travelline National Data Set, which uh, a sort of not for profit company called Travelline are responsible for, and that that is um, you know that's a, that's a, an attempt at the operators uh, sort of driving all of that data that they have into a central repository. But it but it's only a, a sort of subset of the data that. Uh, perhaps the open data uh, infrastructure that exists in London. So, you know, things like vehicle positions, they don't exist in that data set. You know, the, yeah, so I, I think they've got as far as perhaps they, they can on their own without central government, you know, pushing it to a point where it really needs to be to, to sort of ignite everything in the way that I think, you know, many of us can see it happening. Yeah, I mean, going back from my recollection of this piece of, you know, the, the background behind this, this was something that civil servants quite cleverly bolted onto the Bus Services Act, which was a fairly hasty response to George Osborne promising Manchester that it could have bus franchising and then realising he'd have to design a piece of legislation to be able to fulfil that promise and that, that you know, this was added in. And this is something that successive ministers have been quite keen on. And I know this thing Baroness Veer talks about with great enthusiasm uh, when she talks about the, the new powers that exist and what can be done. Yeah. Um, yeah. While I think, while I completely agree, I think there's a lot of support for it at the sort of the political level. Do you think the industry as a whole is supportive of it? I'm not sure. Um, I haven't heard anybody particularly enthusiastic or critical of it, to be honest. Either way, I think there's certain level of apprehension about what will be required of them. Or, you know, I, I can't say that I've heard particularly strong opinions one way or the other, unlike some other issues, you know, over the years. So waiting to see, perhaps. I think. I think from our side, I mean, we work with bus operators every day um, and I think the you know the the, the concerns they have are, are really around the the amount of work that they already have and potentially the requirements to you know to 
provide more data to more systems um, with existing resources. So I don't think there's any sort of fundamental pushback on on releasing the data generally. I think it is just the requirements to you know to ask already busy teams to do more within the same the same time frame and you know manage more systems, more more technology. So yeah, I think I suppose from a technology provider's perspective, you know, it's, it's really down to us to make that as easy as possible. Like ultimately, what they're setting out to do is open up data. Do you think developers are out there wanting it, craving it, and will go on to build other things? Do you think it will un- unlock stuff? You guys probably have a much clearer idea of that than me. But I mean, if, I suppose if, again, you don't want to sound too London centric, but you you would think that, that the people who develop these systems in London want to develop them for the rest of the country, and that that new players might emerge in in particular parts of the country. And I would imagine that there'd be an appetite for 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 this information, and people will work with it and gel it together. Do you think it's going to help potentially convince people to get back onto public transport? If we're looking at you know how the world is right now, and we're in lockdown, people aren't necessarily going to trust shared public spaces. Something that's you know could be considered a small metal room. Do you think that this will help it or? Well, you could even have data, can't you, on how crowded services or how busy it's likely to be at a particular time or whether there's an alternative route that might be less busy. Or... Absolutely, although that that data isn't part of the requirement. But you're absolutely right, that data does exist and is very cool to work with, just speaking from a very geeky point of view of, of developers that like playing with data. But yeah, there, there are a few options that potentially could work, I suppose. Well, having better journey planning information, and I'm not sure how that necessarily would reassure people if they have concerns about you know COVID nineteen. But I, I suppose moving forward, you know, as a 21st century retailer, the idea is: can you not offer this sort of stuff really if you, you know if you yeah. want to be taken seriously and the kind of you know the environment you're competing in, kind of incredible things you can do with technology. People will have an expectation. Why, why can't I know all this information at my fingertips on my phone? And if, if you're not there, you're not there. I mean, there's a good analogy uh, that was used. I went to a session a year or two ago now in Glasgow, which specifically was, was transport focused, which were looking at young people and how young people related to public transport. And one of their frustrations was finding out what's going on. And, the, you know, the, the throwaway remark was, why can't it be as easy as ordering pizza? You know, yeah. Domino's pizza, I can, I can look, I can track where it is on my phone. I pay for it through my phone. You know, I don't. I don't have to turn up with exact fare. Wonder if it's going to arrive. One, ask, ask the driver where I have to get off. You know, this is, you know, you know, I, you know, I, I know that's a dark characterization of bus companies, which, which is not always true. A lot of them are doing a way ahead of that, but that, that's the worst case scenario. We want to eradicate that. Nobody experiences that. We need to, you know, but unfortunately, public transport is it will always get pulled down to a degree by its lowest common denominator. Sure. We want to raise the bar. So, with everything that you guys have just said. Should we be pushing the timeline back or should we more than ever be saying, you know, let's let's make this a priority with a view to convincing people that this is a, you know, safe and we want to get people back on to public transport and things like that. Should we be pushing for this stuff to go forwards to make sure that we don't well, we can get ahead of the problem before it becomes one? From, from my uh, completely uninformed position, <laughs> I, would, I would say that it seems inevitable to me that it's going to be delayed to one degree. Where it, the, the bus agree. companies are completely um, fighting such a battle at the moment for survival, really. Yeah. And and the, the people they've got, if they're working in some scheduling, they're, they're having to pull out timetables, work at it, work all nighters, reconfigure this, swap vehicles around, swap, you know, growth. the idea that they can, you know, as much as I would like to 
push them and say, this is essential. And, and you can always say you're too busy to do this type of thing. But actually... Right now, they probably are quite busy. Right now, I think they are. <laughs> and they, get, they can get off the hook on that, for sure. Um, so I think we probably do have to expect some kind of slippage. But I mean, the whole world's gone into slippage, haven't we? We're all sort of a bit on ice at the moment, really. So it won't be a surprise if this does too, to a degree. I, I think you're right. It, it, it's all going to slip. I, I, but it's a really interesting question to sort of think about not, you know, not allowing it to slip because now this is the moment. You know, this is when we this is when we need all of that data the most in order to get everything back to, or you know, to not necessarily get it back to get to improve things. You know, to to radically you know, take advantage of you know the opportunity we have around us i mean we're all yeah we're all experiencing something that hopefully we'll never experience again but in that there are silver linings of you know reduced traffic and all of these things that you know people in public transport particularly on bus have been crying out for 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 a a really long time and now if the data was available uh, yeah i absolutely believe there would be some really interesting innovation coming out off the back of this this you know this situation that we have but the data is not there yet and we're talking about you know pushing it kicking that can down the road a little bit yeah i, mean, I wouldn't want to see it kick too far down the road <laughs> well, I, well i sympathize with the, the the current predicament that they find themselves in yes i, I agree with you it's very important um, and we're going back to what we said earlier i don't see how it would necessarily assuage any sort of fears that people have over um, you know whether or not they might catch a virus, and you know actually think things that might help on that is reassurances about cleaning regimes, people being perhaps compelled to wear masks on public transport, be those sort of measures. But really, right now, more than you know, when when all of this sort of starts to relax, we're going to have to make public transport as more attractive than ever uh, to stop people going into that sort of four-wheeled cocoon, and, and you know creating so many problems for society and. and each other by clogging up the streets and nobody getting anywhere very fast yeah absolutely i think there's probably going to be a lot of people that have uh, rediscovered or refallen back in love with uh, exercise right now so you know riding bikes or running or whatever and there'll be a lot of uh, people that have, have got that idea of i'm going to ride to work every day when this comes off but you know a week of rain and people will be back to using cars and things like that and and how do we get them to choose the public transport instead of the car you know that that's that's the ideal so taking like some of the stuff we've talked about how do we think that things are going to evolve over the next 10 to 15 years. So in a sort of post-COVID world, what should we be accelerating now? So in this period, as we've just talked about, where it's actually quite quiet, what should councils or councillors or town planners, what should they be thinking about, you know, maybe rushing through and implementing on the quiet yeah. or, or, or even just taking the, the data and the information and just saying, well, this is what we've learned. This is how, how it could work. Now, I appreciate that a lot of people are sitting at home. They're not travelling right now. But when they do start travelling again, I have never seen so many buses on time as there are right now. Rush hour doesn't exist, and I love it. So, you know, how, how, how what does the future look like? What should we be planning for? I live on a, on a just off a major bus route, uh, and there are actually still a few buses on it. You know, it's a, yeah. a London Road heading into the on the east side of Edinburgh, going to the centre, and they are just sat at the stops. You know, trying to yeah. wait to, for time to catch up. Yeah. and it does show you how if you took up, you know, it took away that traffic how quickly you could get across the city from one side to another, how wonderful it could be. The air is so clean, I think it's hurting my lungs. But this is exactly the point, isn't it? That this is We are seeing what so many people have planned over the last few years for, but we're seeing it now. You know, that people have been putting together these strategic, you know, city plans to incrementally get to the to this point. 
But should they be ripping those up and, and, and getting the hell on with some of those those things that, you know... Well, it'd be nice if we quicker. could lock in some of this, wouldn't it? It'd be nice yeah. if we could, you know... And if you think how we've all noticed, if you, especially if you live in an area with poor air quality, we've noticed how much clearer the sky is, how much fresher the air is. And, and if that degree of improvement is so noticeable, imagine what happens when the traffic goes back, how people... That's really good. If they, if they were annoyed about it before, you'd imagine that they're really going to be up in arms about it now hmm. and we're going to have some really difficult debates like we were having already really about you know how we should travel what, what the best way is uh, how are all the cars units that we make essential should we be reallocating road space should we be um encouraging modal shift i mean the good news is that and it, it almost disappeared uh, amid all the coronavirus uh, coverage was that um it was almost quietly announced by the department for Transport, but public transport and active travel will be the natural first choice for transport in the future. They, they've got their plan to decarbonise transport to address climate change. And um, you know, maybe coronavirus has made us all realise that our position on this planet can be a bit fragile at times. And, uh, you know, if, if coronavirus is changing the way we live, you can bet climate change could, could, can certainly do the same. Uh, and could have some real profound effects um, that, that cut very deep. So in our response to that, um, you know, modal shift is back on the agenda and we must keep it on the agenda and and, 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 and hope that, that that's what we can drive forward. And, and Grant Shapps is saying that in the foreword of his uh, document, Decarbonising Transport, which you can find on the Department of Transport's website right now. I recommend people have a look at that because that that's hopefully setting the mood music for where we go now. Um, that, that's quite a shift. There's quite a shift in the in the tone from government, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, modal shifts just sort of became um, something you never spoke about. It, it disappeared off the agenda um, completely. Um, in fact, I, I, I sort of one of the phrases I hate the most is uh, "war on the motorist," and it always makes me groan because uh, I mean, if if it's a, if there's a war on the motorist, the people who are waging that war are not winning. You know, the, the, you know, traffic levels seem to, you know, in terms of its grip on the cities, you know, the, the, it, the car seems to certainly still have very much its its, its dominant uh, position. Uh, and it, you see it get used less and less. You used to get press releases sent out by opposition transport spokesmen and they'd use that as a phrase. And then when the Conservatives came into government in 2010, actually, I remember going to a briefing with Philip Hammond and, and he did use it and say, we're going to end the war on the motorist. And it was a bit vague about how we felt that war had actually been fought. But I'm sad to say it was an expression that Grant Shapps brought back out of the box in last December's election in response to, uh, I think, Labour were talking about uh, reducing the £27 billion, whatever it is, the government or are planning to spend on road pro- building programmes. I think they were talking about putting that into buses. But now here, here, here is Grant Shapps talking about modal shift. You know, so mm-hmm. um, perhaps, perhaps there's... Pennies, pennies are dropping, I think, in, all over the place. <laughs> it, it certainly feels like it. It certainly feels like there's um, there have been a, a you know a subset of, of very informed people that have been championing this, this for a very long time. But it, it feels like it's shifting into the the more mainstream consciousness. Consciousness, it, it, which I, it, it can only be a good thing. I mean, whether that's you know uh, you know the work of Greta or whether it's you know the, the virus or whatever it takes. You know, there, there seems to be a yeah, a sort of consensus that everyone is now started to consider their impact on, as you said, the you know the, the fragility of, of of our existence, and that's um, you know that's that that's got to be a good thing. And uh, I mean, at a time when, without without getting too much into politics, but at a time when we do have some people around who 
want to sort of tell you not to listen to the experts or we've had enough of them and try and offer you popular solutions that sound good but you know um or, or talk a lot of nonsense um you know um uh, you, you we have a situation where actually you know we have a government that does seem to be taking or talking about modal shift climate change seriously they, they could have been you know saying oh no this is not a problem or you know we, we're going to build more roads and we're going to well they are saying build more roads but we're going to have pro car solutions and war on the motorists and public you know they, they could take this sort of approach but they haven't done that so i feel sort of encouraged by that um the mobility as a service, like the that whole topic, that has been a buzzword for such a long time. Are we actually seeing anyone progress in those areas? Like seriously progress in those areas, not just press releases. Well, as a man who's written that phrase probably more times than anyone else, yeah, I think Rob, what, what do you? What, yeah, buzzword bingo, or is it, or is it, is it something that's actually going to happen? Well, I mean, there's some people would tell you it, it's already there. I suppose you know if you look at if you look. You know, if you're living in London, what, what more do you need in terms of you've got a payment proposition, use your card tapped for pretty much everything. Uh, you know, not everything, but a lot of your mobility. You know, you've got apps that tell you everything, bring everything together. Um, but, you know, you could argue there's already an element of it, perhaps not in this sort of the subscription model that people might say is that the, the extension of where you could go with or should go with mobility as a service. I know Leon Daniels regrets that he didn't bring car clubs into the TFL family. You know, then we could have had that. Um, there are certain exceptions in the pricing model. For example, you know, you, you don't use your um, Oyster card or your, your your debit card in the same way to pay for the cycle hire scheme. So that, you know, that might not fit in. But but you could argue that it's a it's a first step on the you know on, on the on a flight of stairs that takes you towards mass. If you look at uh, I suppose you look at the rapid rollout of things like uh, WIM and what Mass Global are happening. It, it does seem that it, nobody's quite cracked it yet. I don't get the feeling that it's quite sort of taken off completely um i'm not sure quite why whether whether we don't have all the component parts yet in terms of information or i i guess i guess my view on that is that the um i think the vcs want something that scales which is you know the same product everywhere and and i just look around the country you know and this is uk focused you know for me um, right now um, and I don't I see very different you know urban landscapes you know geographies you know political positions and you know there has to be a lot of things aligned to potentially get one element of Maz right let alone all of it you know, well, you know who knows what Maz really is anyway but it's you know it, yeah I think that I think there's there's going to be a difference in different places in terms of the the vision of this stuff and how it actually rolls out um, but that doesn't fit with you know the the, the scalability and, and and the kind of you know the desire of technology businesses to do the same thing everywhere. So I, I completely agree. I, I think with a lot of these things and a lot of the the problems with getting people on public transport before you even introduce the concept of mass is it's all about convenience. And if the buses don't run where you need them to go or they run every two hours, you're not going to subscribe to that service because it's just not convenient enough for you. Um, so convenience will always be the thing, and it's whether you have to have the um, the the whether that whether you put on all the bus services first and you know invest in that and try and get people to come on it and try and convince them or whether you try and create the the need before you service that you know that's for someone else to sort out but it's always going to come down to convenience 
but there are obviously other things that we can do as well. So is there any kind of policy or politics? Are there any kind of challenges that are on the horizon or even that we've gone past that are just making this harder or easier that you're sort of, you've, you've come across or aware of? You're probably much more attuned to this than I am. I mean, the, the government's focus seems to be very much on, on, on buses, which is welcome. I spoke to um, uh, David Begg, Professor David Begg, for a catch-up um, a week ago, and he had a, an analogy that sort of made me laugh and cry at the same time. He said the bus industry really is was a bit like a, a drowning man. And, uh, and now with coronavirus, uh, you know, it's been hit, hit by a speedboat, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's that, it, it, you know, I, I don't know if it, the buses are quite drowning, but let's face it, it has been losing patronage. It has, mm. it's down, you know, it's, it, it's struggling. The, the, the margins in many places are pretty thin, which, you know, inhibit its ability to invest. Um, it, it needs a leg up and some help. Uh, it's just a shame yeah. that that drowning man was sort of spotted from the beach and people were saying, oh, we should do something about that. We, and, and, and just at the point where people were going to throw the drowning man a lifeline, then the speedboat comes along. But hopefully <laughs> we can pull that drowning man into shore and, and he can recover from the speedboat injuries, but we're not pushing <laughs> the analogy too far. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, so we, we, we need, I suppose, that, that's been sort of what, what the priority in government has been. It's, it's really, I mean, it's mind-blowing to have a prime minister who talks about buses in speeches. We, we, we have had many Secretary of States for Transport who, who forget to talk about buses. <laughs> so never mind a Prime Minister. And he might not be your cup of tea. He's not my cup of tea, actually, personally, for whatever that's worth. But I'm amazed to have, you know, I think it's great that he talks about buses. And I think when he talks about buses, it might reach out to people who otherwise, you know, might, might almost makes it acceptable. It's sort of like... He's, he's not necessarily the obvious person you might have thought. The, pe the people he, sometimes he has support from might not be the people who are minded for that. You know, he could speak to people who might watch Top Gear normally. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's, he's got, you know, what, the ability to do that. So I wonder whether actually that, if we can get back to, you know, if we ever get any kind of normality back, whether actually buses could really achieve something over a sort of five-year time frame, if we could see some kind of breakthrough. But I'm forever the optimist. If you wanted the pessimist, you should have got my colleague Andrew on the podcast. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get him on another one. <laughs> we'll get him next time. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. The, the, I guess, in, in a way, this idea of making buses acceptable is, is not much of an aspiration, but I absolutely know what you, you mean. It's, it, we want to make them cool in a way, you know, we want to, we, we, we want to make them, a, you know, a far greater experience than acceptable. But, 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 but right now I, I'd absolutely settle for, you know, people not even noticing them as part of their day, you know, if, you know, they just work and they're just the norm. And, you know, I, I don't even, you know, I think in London, you don't think about the, the transport network. And if we could get, you know, 10% of that everywhere else, just because it works and it's frequent and it, you know, it's it's cheap enough to to be the, you know, the everyday. Then I think you know that's amazing. Well, a quick point on that, loop, looping back to the technology of the bots element in this is, you know, the, the status symbol. You know, for for, I mean, you know, I'm in my forties, and you you had to get your driving license when when you know, for sure you were my, you know, that was a big thing. And cars, they were such a status symbol. And I can see from my parents' yeah. generation, they were a great liberator, an incredible thing, and 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 they they still are, but. Actually, we've seen a shift in the status symbol, you know, uh, and I think the status symbol now, the thing that people want to be pictured with, is probably their mobile phone. That's the, you know, what phone they've got is how they define themselves, what their, 
social media appearances or you know that that's how they, and that's the world that we can tap into with public transport by making interfaces that make public transport seem appealing seem nice present that information in a way that makes you feel good about your world your life it makes you think yeah i've got all this at my fingertips i'm you know i'm, uh, I'm, I'm i can survey my kingdom and find out what i want to do and uh, you know, I know how to sort of tread around my place I live using this. And, and, and I think that's a real plus for public transport. So, the, you know, it used to be your car keys were the key to your mobility. And hopefully maybe in the future your mobile phone is the key to your mobility. And, you know, and but to do that, we need good information and, and good ways of presenting that information. Well, I couldn't agree more. I, I, could, I couldn't have paid you to say that. No, <laughs> but, um, yeah. But no, I, that, I mean, I, I, you know, I think... It's quite obvious what we what we do for a living, and I think you're absolutely right. And you know, there's a there's a there's a very obvious, at least to us as a as a team, connection between a smartphone, its ubiquity, its, um, you know, the ability that it gives everyone to access information and 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 create you know opportunity for themselves, and where mobility is going. So you know, there's there's there is absolutely a, you know, a fundamental connection between mobile apps and, and, and buses. And I think that's, yeah, it's, it, it, the, the quicker that the industry embraces that, then I, the, the quicker that world will, will come to the fore. There is some anxiety for operators, um, perhaps more so than others, that, that whoever owns the, or has the best way of presenting the data and can create the best retail platform is going to own the customer. And, you know, is CityMapper going to own the customer? Am I going to make my journey on a bus in future, but I'm going to feel like I'm CityMapper's customer? Will CityMapper have a buy here? Will I, will I buy it from them in future? I don't know. Um, I know that some of the big groups are really exercised about this question. And I'm sort of thinking, you know, are we possibly, could we lose control of our customer? Will players come in and dominate this? And do we need to step up our game in this area? And I suppose... Yeah, you know, and I suppose one thing is with open data, you you won't actually be the only port of call. You won't be able to sort of ring fence, and this is all obvious, I know, but you won't be able to be the guardian of all your, you know, you have to come to us if you want to find out about our services. So if people can do it better than you, present it in a better way, you, you might feel a bit threatened by that. It might be unnecessary to feel threatened by that. It might be, I I'm positively think that it could be a positive thing if lots of people want to promote your services somebody wants to find a really good way of pushing passenger transport magazine out to people that i hadn't thought of fine brilliant yeah i think you referenced you know the concept of retail i mean these concepts are not new <laughs> you know the same product badged up sold by lots of different people in different ways you know you've got your your no frills and you've got your premium product different packaging same thing inside there's absolutely no reason why you know this idea of owning the customer can't be you know extended, um, and, and and different people can sell those products. And you know and ultimately the, the 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 operator is is the delivery vehicle for that product. So they will have the customer there. They can sell directly to their customer. But I think embracing alternative channels for sale just makes so much sense in terms of creating you know those margins, those those channels for sale that that just don't exist at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so long ago that I heard people saying that uh, you, you couldn't do contactless, it would be too expensive, the banks would want too big a cut, you know, and yet, from what, 2012, we've, we had that in London, you just get on a bus, you tap, 
um, the benefits of that are enormous. Um, not just to, you know, the, 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 the convenience for customers are just, you know, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but then the, the two major benefits for operators, the obvious one is it speeds up your journey times really quickly. Another one that's perhaps less um, people don't think about is you've stopped the grudge purchase element. How many products now do you sort of, you buy? You know, when I use my mobile phone, do I have to find the exact amount of coins for the phone call and sort of put it in? And, you know, and, and no, I just, I just use it. And then I get the bill later on. Um, and, and obviously, the, you know, the faith in the London system is they would work out the best deal for you. And it worked. People said, oh, people will be apprehensive about using it. No, no. And, of course, it's now taking off bus operators all over the country. Found they could do it. And I do worry sometimes that things get put on the too difficult pile. Yeah, there's always going to be day-to-day issues. I, I get that. We have that in our own business that, you know, that, that dis- distract you from doing the stuff that you know you need to do if you want to be a better business and, and be a better proposition for your customers. So, so how do you how do you raise the ambition then? I guess is the question there. I mean, if if things are being put to to one side because they are perceived to be too challenging, then you know. You yeah, know. I suppose I suppose it's a there are there are always companies that just get it and lead with it and go with it. Um, I mean, I remember there never used to be seen as a business. What's the business case for real time information? There's no business case. Well, I think there might be a business case if you can <laughs> you can take out one of the. Uh, the real bugbears of your customers, you can take that away. Like, will my bus actually turn up? How long am I going to be waiting here? You know, um, that, that might have a plus, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's very difficult to actually quantify it and put it on a, you know, you know profit and loss, you know. So it's, 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 it's a, they didn't do it, but they weren't thinking always like that. There were some that did. Uh, you know, Roger French, when he was running Brighton & Hope, said, I could have a real-time information system or I could have some more new buses. I'll have a real-time information system perhaps, you know, and he, he got it and led with that. I hope that's my recollection. Uh, my recollection of that is correct. I and mean, he doesn't write to me afterwards and say you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he will if, if, uh, if you are wrong. But yeah. he was somebody who was very customer-focused. And the bus industry has many, many, many people who are very customer-focused. Yes, absolutely. No question. It also has some uh, who, who I don't think really see it through a customer's view, eyes or that don't use the services enough or, or actually understand really from a passenger perspective. We'll see the potential of some of these things and what it could do. Uh, and I, I personally think, uh, uh, while understanding the, 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 the real massive challenge they're facing right now and why they would all have their heads down, uh, you know, as soon as we can get to getting this information out there, I think that the, uh, the main winners from it will be them. Well, I completely agree. And on that note... I think we're going to have to end it, chaps. Really, really enjoyed talking to you, Raoul. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, is there anything you want to plug, your website, your business? Yeah, we are um, passengertransport.co.uk. Uh, we're a fortnightly magazine. Hopefully many of you know. We have, during this coronavirus period, uh, suspended publication just for three months, but we will be back. We'll be back in July. But in the meantime, we are still updating our website and uh, letting people know what's going on so uh, uh we are uh, stories being posted every day uh, so and look at us look out for us on twitter to at past trans so brill cakes <laughs> brill cakes thanks very much that was brilliant rob thank you so much next week we'll be chatting with james carney financial and commercial director at blackpool transport Some of you may know Blackpool's incredible transformation over the last five years, despite having to work with the seasonal challenges of a resort area. James has some fantastic insight and we're really looking forward to sitting down with him. 
you have any questions for James or for us, you can tweet us at Making Passenger. We'll see you then.